J. Guru Dave. Registration is now open for Tom's 2024 Australian tour. Once again, Tom will be giving knowledge sessions and group meditations, as well as a four-night, five-day rounding retreat in Jeringong. If you haven't learned Vedic meditation yet, Tom will be teaching Vedic meditation while in Sydney, as well as advanced techniques to those who have already learned Vedic meditation. Tom's Australia tour runs from June 6th to the 30th, and you can find out more at tomknowles.com slash Australia. Sahana vavatu, sahana bhunaktu, sahaviryam karavahavahai, tejasvinavatitamastu, navidvishavahai. Today, we're going to speak about karma. Karma is a very interesting subject and one of the primary concepts that has worked its way into the Western common parlance, the common vernacular of English speakers particularly. Karma, even when I go to buy a coffee at my favorite coffee shop, I note that there's a jar that says, the karma jar meaning give us a tip and get some good karma. Actually, the adjectives and qualifiers of good karma and bad karma is a complete Western invention. Karma itself is neither good nor bad. It just is. Karma is one of the most poorly understood concepts that has come out of the Vedic worldview and entered into the Western parlance. And I'd like to clarify what karma actually means. First of all, from the Sanskrit. Sanskrit is the language of the Vedic era in India. Sanskrit is the basis of two-thirds of English words. Sanskrit, S-A-N-S-K-R-I-T, Sanskrit, is the parent language of the Indo-European group. That is all of the, as we refer to them as Latin languages, the Latin angle came much later. So we have Sanskrit percolating well into English. For example, one of my favorite examples is our word ignition. Put the key in the car and the ignition ignites the spark that causes the car to fire up. That's in an old-fashioned internal combustion engine, unless you have an electric engine. You have an ignition, and ignite comes from the Latin ignis, which comes from the Greek ignis, which comes from the Sanskrit agni. A-G-N-I, agni, is fire in Sanskrit. So like this, we can find the ultimate etymology of about two-thirds of English words in Sanskrit. So Sanskrit, karma. Karma, kar, comes from the root kr, which is a k with an r after it. That r is like a rolled r, kr. And ma, ma is the negating sound in Sanskrit, that which is negating. Karma, negating or binding. 
that which binds, that which negates, ma, karma. And karma has another word that rests alongside of it. Karma generally is referred to as quote-unquote action, but in this case it means action that binds. The binding effect of action or action that binds. And then there is a word that rests parallel to it, which generally speaking is translated loosely as activity, and activity is kriya, K-R-I-Y-A, kriya. They both share the root kr, and one of them ends with ma, and one of them ends with ya. Kriya, karma. And kriya is supposed to be the spontaneous activity that occurs without bondage as a result of the evolutionary process. For things to progress in an evolutionary fashion, for there to be movement from less sophisticated states to more sophisticated states, for there to be progressive change of any kind, kriya is required. Kriya is that spontaneous activity of evolutionary nature. Karma is activity which has with it some binding implication. It turns out that if we think of the way that a river flows, a river flows following the forces of gravity, but following the contours of the land across which the water has to move. The progress of a river from, let's say, its uh, sources in mountain snow, down through mountains and then across plains, and then off to the ocean, the river is following the physics principle of least action. The river will move with the least amount of action required in order for it to wind its way across and using the principle of least resistance will find its way to the ocean level, the level of ocean water. And that progress of the river, if we think of that as kriya, the river can't climb up a mountainside and go over the crest of a pass and then come down the other side. Water cannot go uphill. No river can rise higher than its source. That's another concept that we're going to look into some other day. No river can rise higher than its source. So the river is following the path of least action. It is following the path of least resistance and moving toward the ocean, kriya. It may wind around a lot, so most rivers, when you look at them on the map, especially if you look at a detailed map of a river, is very windy. But that windiness in no way causes the river to experience bondage. Now, karma is, if we think about action that has its inception in the human desire to make things happen quicker, to attempt to, if you like, enhance evolution, then we start hitting the entire realm of karma. The idea here is that kriya, evolutionary action, is the speediest path of evolution. Any attempt to move faster than or to slow down the direction of kriya, of progressive change, is going to cause ma, it's going to cause bondage karma. And that karma 
the effect of it is simply to correct us and put us back into the mainstream of Kriya. So karma, Kriya. What is the purpose of karma? You do something which inadvertently violates the laws of nature. What you feel is suffering as a result. Uh, No one intentionally sets out to make themselves suffer. However, according to the Vedic worldview, we design our own experience. Whether we do so consciously or unconsciously, obviously in the case of suffering, it's unconscious. No one consciously sets out to make themselves suffer. We may start a day where at the end of that given day, we could be in tears and say, all I tried to do was help. All I tried to do was to make things better. All I tried to do was to increase happiness for myself and for everyone else. And look what happened. Suffering. We commonly hear reports of this type, uh, especially when there have been family gatherings. And what this means is that we have not been well advised or our knowledge is not great or our intuition is not great about how the laws of nature that govern human interaction work. Perhaps we set out to do some farming and we need to use the laws of nature to do that. And if we violate the laws of nature, all I was trying to do was make more crops that would last longer and that would yield a greater protein level with a speedier result. But look what happened. I ended up making people sick or I ended up through my actions robbing the land of its nutrients in a way that was not sustainable. So unsustainable behaviors, whether they are sociological, ecological, or physiological. When I ate the 15th donut in the package of donuts, I wasn't trying to make myself sick and come down with an attack of diabetes or gout. All I wanted to do while watching TV was make myself happy. And so I put the 15th donut in my mouth and chewed it up and swallowed. It was so lovely at the time. But this is not kriya. This is going to create karma. I'm using very obvious examples here. And so then karma means that we are prevented from continuing to violate laws of nature. That prevention of the continuance of the violation of laws of nature is what we would refer to as karma. The boundaries begin to move in on the liberty of our behavior. What are you at liberty to continue doing? You know, we, in our approach to attempting to create human-made laws and human-made curbing if laws have been violated, penitentiaries are a place where penitent people go and they have a chance to be pensive, to think about what they have done and we hope that there should be some rehabilitation that occurs, that there is a curbing of liberty. People are not at liberty any longer to continue violating the human-made laws. In nature, there is a similar phenomenon, but it's much subtler. Will you be able to continue to violate the laws of your own physiology? The answer is no. What stops you from doing that? Karma. Karma is where nature sets up boundaries that force you into 
a very limited behavior range, which if you stay inside that limited behavior range, ultimately you're going to go back to the mainstream of the flow of the river of evolution, the flow of Kriya. The idea of karma is to restrict us and bring us back to Kriya, bring us back to the frictionless flow of evolution. So karma represents the behavior of nature when it is bringing us, it's restricting our liberty and bringing us back into the mainstream of evolution. The idea of there being good karma, bad karma, you know, you do something and there's some kind of a record keeper in a punitive universe that was going to levy on you the experiences that you put out there and that you have bad karma hovering and waiting and it's just a matter of time before the administrator comes and assigns bad karma to you or good karma. You did something that was helpful to evolution. What a good boy or a good girl you are now. There's Santa Claus waiting up there in the cosmos who's going to bring you presents and deliver good karma to you. This whole good karma, bad karma thing is an invention of the West. It doesn't actually exist in the Vedic worldview. Karma is just karma. Karma is where you find, if you're in our analogy of the river, if you're not in the mainstream of the river, which is frictionlessly flowing toward the ocean, you get over on the sides of the river, you begin hitting rocks, you begin hitting all kinds of shallows and shoals, you begin to have your body beaten around or your boat beaten around. If you try to swim against the current, that's a completely futile activity. If the river is moving at 20 miles an hour toward the ocean, the maximum speed with which you could swim is about 2 miles an hour. So you could be in the river swimming upstream, attempting not to go downstream, and you continue going downstream at 18 miles an hour. Or you could try to speed up by swimming the extra 2 miles an hour in a river which is already moving faster than you can swim, and you just exhaust yourself and don't really get to the ocean any faster anyway. How do you get in that Kriya flow? We do this through meditation. When we practice Vedic meditation, the mind settles down into its own least excited state. And in that least excited state, we are as if touching the factory reset button. In that least excited state, our desire to either slow down evolution or speed up evolution is brought to a state of quietude. When you come out of meditation, you find that you're spontaneously able to, and you feel charmed to, move in the direction of greater evolution. And because of this spontaneous movement towards that which is more charming, after the mind has transcended thought, transcend means go beyond, after we have learned how to step beyond thought, coming back into thinking and action as a result of having de-excited ourselves, we're coming back into action from that place of the least excited consciousness state. That least excited consciousness state is one with the total quiet intent of nature's own intelligence. When we return back to activity from our least excited state of being, we're going to be more in the center stream of evolution we're going to be more in the Kriya. And our actions are not going to engender karma, the binding effect, moving to the sides of the mainstream of evolution, which causes suffering. And so the whole idea here 
is that we move out of the karma zone and get into the kriya zone. Move away from friction and into the speedy flow of evolution. So the speediest flow of evolution is to live inside that kriya zone. How do we get our consciousness aligned with kriya? Cosmic intent, cosmic activity, rather than individually created karma. We have to transcend every day. And so then we establish ourselves in being through twice daily practice of Vedic meditation. You settle yourself into that quiet state and then you come out of meditation and Kriya begins to take over your activity and your, your thinking and actions. And then by the end of the day, some of that has worn off and we may be getting back into the karma zone again. So sometime late afternoon, early evening, we sit down for another session of Vedic meditation. We step beyond thought again and we move into that deep inner silence. And from there again, we flow back into activity in the Kriya zone. So Kriya doesn't mean non-action. Kriya means exactly the appropriate action at the appropriate time with the appropriate force that engenders maximum speed of evolution. And when you're living in that Kriya zone, what it feels like is it feels like frictionless flow. So this is a very educational set of ideas, the distinction between karma and kriya. Jai Gurudev.